Gracious God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. What will become of his dreams? The theologian Karl Barth once said that the task of the Christian is to hold the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. You interpret the newspaper with the Bible, not the other way around. (laughs) This weekend, the newspaper is thick. We have a president-elect making a great deal of news. The first African-American president gave his last speech this week. And tomorrow, we honor what would have been the 88th birthday of Dr. King. And because I'm a preacher, I have to read ahead in the Bible... I knew we'd have these readings coming on this Sunday as I watched the president's speech this last week and the president-elect's press conference. I had in mind that we would be celebrating Dr. King today, and I was thinking about Joseph's brothers, those sneering words that Scott read so well from the book of Genesis. We will see what will become of his dream. And Joseph's brothers are jealous. The young man has his father's favor. He's been given a beautiful technicolor dream coat. And Joseph has this gift of dreaming. But he has not, however, at the age of 17, been given a gift for tact. (laughs) Few teenagers have the gift of tact. But Joseph's lack is strong. He tells his brothers about this dream that he's dreamed that they will bow down before him. The brothers, shall we say, are not impressed. (laughs) And when he comes to them at Dothan, they plot to thwart the dreamer. And you know the story. Joseph isn't killed, but he's sold into Egypt. And through his gift of dreams and interpretation, his station eventually improves. Joseph finds himself sitting at the right hand of the king entrusted with Pharaoh's household. Meanwhile, back in Israel's land, a famine strikes, and Joseph's brothers come begging. They bow down before Joseph. Dreams can be persistent. Now, you all know why this lesson was chosen. These readings are assigned for the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday because Brother Martin was famous for his dreams. He had the audacity to dream, to invite a country to dream, for equality, for justice, for brotherhood. Today we'd add sisterhood as well. Martin's dream is taught to school children of every race today. What will become of Dr. Dr. King's dream? This week's newspaper witnessed a wide swing. President Obama and President-elect Trump are very different characters. You got a sense of the difference as Tuesday night's speech turned to Wednesday's press conference. These leaders campaigned from very different stances. Yes, we can, and make America great again. These are vastly different ways of looking at our nation. I can understand why so many people are uneasy. As I said to you the Sunday after the election, I'm nervous. I'm nervous about the legislative and executive agenda about to be ushered into the halls of power. I'm scared for some of my former immigrant parishioners 
who are permitted to work through President Obama's Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. I'm concerned for members of this congregation who are insured through the Affordable Care Act. In his I Have a Dream speech, Dr. King spoke of the sweltering summer heat. That made sense. The march took place in late August. But Dr. King wasn't just speaking about the sweaty swamp of Washington. King spoke of that summer metaphorically. That summer, protests raged across the South. As he shared his dream, he told the nation, this sweltering summer of legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. Those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. As we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. Dr. King's words hold today. As we embark on the adventure of making America great again, we cannot turn back. People marched, people bled, people died to guarantee freedoms. We cannot turn back. We will not turn back. Dreams, the Bible tells us, can be persistent. Our country is great precisely because of the change that is possible in America. And just yesterday, Ellis and I went to see Hidden Figures. And the movie features the story of black women who did the math that allowed our country to win the space race, to put a man into orbit. I encourage you to go see the film. It's worth it. It was remarkable. The crowd that gathered was also remarkable. The theater was full. Don't miss this. For a movie about black women scientists, the theater was full. And it was full of white people. <laughs> America has changed. Not everything, not everywhere, but America has changed. America is changing. We cannot turn back. We have to keep dreaming Brother Martin's dream. And we need to pray. And some of you may have read that there's a controversy brewing in our Episcopal Church about prayer and the incoming president. As is tradition, two prayer services will be held this week in Episcopal churches in Washington. On Friday, the president-elect, his family, and his invited guests will gather at my former church, St. John's Lafayette Square, just across the park from the White House. It's a private prayer service. Almost every president since James Madison has had a service there the morning of their inauguration. Kennedy went to the Catholic Cathedral. But thankfully, St. John's has not been a focus for controversy. The tradition is too old. But the Episcopal Cathedral of St. Peter and St. Paul, better known as the Washington National Cathedral, will also host a public service of prayer with the new president to be broadcast on television on Saturday. And the National Cathedral Choir has accepted an invitation to sing at the inauguration on Friday as well. 
Some in our denomination would have us close the doors of our churches to these festivities. I can understand this point of view. The president-elect's campaign brought out some really negative elements in our society. Racism and hatred were emboldened following his election. Several mosques, synagogues, and even Episcopal churches were vandalized with words like Trump's America. I can understand why some would wish the Episcopal church would boycott this inauguration. I'm pretty close to many of the leaders in the Episcopal church in Washington. I know the bishop well, the priests, and the choir directors. I know that many of them swallowed hard as they took meetings with the inaugural committee. Big public decisions are never easy to make. I'm glad I'm not in their shoes. And I won't second guess their decision to participate. I was honored to be at St. John's for the second inaugural service for President Obama. I will remember that day for the rest of my life. And I am glad that this week I get to be in St. Louis. <laughs> in what some have called real America. I'm glad that on Saturday I'll be out on the streets with many of you in our women's march. In solidarity with the women's march on Washington. More about that in a second. I'm glad not to be in Washington this week. But I think all of us, no matter where we are, have to consider how we will pray these days. As I said to you the Sunday after the election, we will pray for Donald, our president-elect, at Holy Communion. We'll pray for him by name when he's the president as well. He needs our prayers. But, as the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church reminded us this week, prayer is not the same as cheering or declaring our support. Our presiding bishop shared in his message these words. I grew up in a historically black congregation in the Episcopal Church. We prayed for leaders who were often lukewarm and even opposed to our very civil rights. We got on our knees in church and prayed for them. And then we got up off our knees and we marched on Washington. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. That's a high bar. We will pray for Donald, but that's not all we're going to do. This coming Saturday, a group of us are going to meet up downtown for the Women's March. If you want more information, get in touch with Kara Cummins. Her email address is in your bulletin. We're coordinating a meeting point and walking together. We will pray for our president and will march. In St. Louis, in Washington, along the U.S.-Mexico border, wherever America needs dreamers, we'll march. What will become of his dreams? Dr. King's dreams are still there to be dreamed. We've come close at times. Eight years ago, I stood with 1.8 million people on the National Mall as the first black president was inaugurated. You could almost feel the earth shake. When everybody moved a little, you did feel the earth shake. The world was changing. Still, Dr. King's dream was bigger than the first black president. <coughs> The dream goes on. What will become of his dreams? The Bible tells us that dreams can be persistent. Even when the newspaper looks bleak, turn to the Bible. 
we learn that dreams are persistent when God's people are persistent. God was there for Joseph. God was there for Moses and Deborah and Ruth. God was there for David. God was there for the prophets. God was there for Peter and John and Mary Magdalene. God will be there with us, dreaming with us. This little light of mine we sing, I'm going to let it shine. How will you help keep the dream alive? How will you help the dream persist? Will you open your Bible and your newspaper? Will you allow yourself to be shaped and formed and then go out to make some news? In the days, months, and years to come, a dream is at stake. The dream wasn't just the dream of a single presidency. It wasn't just the dream of a single preacher or a single movement. The dream is bigger. The dream belongs to God. God dreams of a world where justice rolls down like water. God dreams of a world where all God's people are free from persecution, from violence, where all God's people are free to love. God has big dreams. Keep dreaming. Keep praying. Keep moving forward. Keep dreaming with God. And let your light shine. Amen. Amen.